And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. It's a great pleasure to welcome back into our studios our good friend Nan Calvert, who, of course, arranges environmentally themed morning shows on a monthly basis and have been doing so for how long? You were calculating it the other day. 18 years. 18 years. 18 <laughs> big, long years. We appreciate them. So uh, you have assembled uh, a, a wonderful group of uh, folks to uh, join us to, uh, for this particular program, uh, a couple of old-timers, if you will, that is, uh, folks who have been on the show before. No one is as old an old-timer as you and That's I. That's right. Right. But, uh, and then one newcomer. So, um Nan, first of all, welcome back, and uh, tell our listeners uh, who is in the studio today and what we're going to be talking about. Who are these people? (laughs) Um, Yes, so we have a little bit of a crowd here today. Uh, We have Dave Giordano, the executive director of Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network. We have Christy Heiser, who wears many, many important hats. She is the pollinator program (laughs) manager, and she is also the stormwater playbook Uh, creator and she manages that program and she probably does about 87 other things as well Uh, and then we have um, we have Kaylin Palomares from Hawthorne Hollow Uh, she is um, heavily steeped in maple sugaring at the moment and that's all she can think about (laughs) (laughs) and we may talk about that a little bit sounds good well welcome to uh, all of you it's great to have you here Nan, did anything in particular prompt you to want to have uh, Root Pike Wynn back on the program at this particular point? Well, you know, they always have something going on, and there's always multiple important things going on simultaneously. And so certainly the Pollinator Patch Program is one of the most important things because it's all about habitat and, you know, welcoming back a very important native species. All of our native pollinators are extremely important. And certainly stormwater runoff education and awareness and management uh, is always important and you know we're heading well actually it kind of already feels like spring but Mm. soon the spring rains will come and those of us who think about stormwater runoff will be wringing our hands and (laughs) they oh no no but yes here it comes yes Yes. here it comes very good so this is a great time to be talking about these important topics Dave ahead of us going into those kind of specific areas it might be helpful for certain listeners who aren't particularly acquainted with Root Pike Win, I don't think that's too many WGTD listeners. Maybe only three people. Yeah, maybe, right. Yeah. But no, I, I, I strongly suspect there's at least one person uh, listening who is not acquainted with Root Pike Win, and let's maybe call it the central focus of what you do. Right. Well, uh, Root Pike Win is a 501c3 nonprofit that restores, protects, and sustains the Root Pike Basin which is really the five watersheds in southeastern Wisconsin that flow into Lake Michigan. Uh, All of those are highly impaired and degraded. And our group has taken on the challenge for almost 25 years now of trying to bring water quality back, habitats, and really our sense of place, uh, which we feel like is so important. Uh, It's been an amazing year for Root Pike Win. And when I look back, I go, well, that's an amazing year for our community, too. There's yeah. a lot of great projects and, and events that have happened. So we're pretty excited to share those. Rightly so. Are there groups like Root Pike Win all over Wisconsin? I mean, like if we looked at a map of Wisconsin, would we see kind of a patchwork of very comparable organizations doing comparable things? Yeah, there are a lot of groups similar to Root Pike Win. 
uh, we were formed out of the DNR back in the late 90s because there was no grassroots organization here in southeastern Wisconsin protecting these waters. And that was really an initiative by the DNR to do that all over the state. We are now, so there were a bunch of groups formed. We are, I think, the one of the last two that still exist mm. from that program. But there's certainly other groups that uh, do things that we do as well. Comparable. So uh, tell us about the busy woman sitting next to you, Christine uh, Heiser. Uh, Nan already touched on uh, the plethora of things that she does for Root Bike. When when did she come aboard and and give us some sense of the scope of her responsibilities? Yeah, Christine's been awesome for our organization. Uh, We met Christine at one of our Respect Our Waters events and um, brought her on as a as an intern um, and or a, a, a temporary contractor and she's just turned out to be fantastic she can wear so many hats and has really taken our pollinator patch program from an idea to what's now um, high demand in our community Uh, she also has a, a great science background and a great teaching background so she's able to communicate with with kids with uh young adults and really um just anybody in the community. She's just got a great way about her, and we're, we're super fortunate to have her. Great. Christine, it's great to have you here. Christine uh, Heiser, tell us a little bit about where you come from originally and also maybe what sort of sparked your initial interest in a lot of the matters that you uh, take up with uh, your work at Root Pike Wind. Yeah, so originally I was a middle school teacher in town. I was a science teacher, so I've always had a love for science and learning and the environment. Um, Where was that, by the way, that you were a teacher? I used to teach at Lance Middle School. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I was ready for that next step of doing my master's, and I finally found a conservation biology program because I wanted to stick in the sciences, and if anything, it would just enhance the teaching I was already doing. Um, And through wrapping up that program, I had to do an internship, and that's where I thought, Root Pikewin is local and doing all this awesome work. And I reached out and poked Dave. I was like, can I? Are you interested in an intern? And um, it worked out and just grew from there and felt like such a natural fit to stay on this path. Very good. So uh, so describe more specifically the kind of things that you are engaged in. And has that changed very much over the course of your time with Root Pikewin? Yeah, it's expanded, but in a good way. So I came on as a stormwater consultant and really just focusing on where we can be better with our stormwater management so we have better habitat and water quality. And then from there, I was able to take on the pollinator patch program um, where I'm working with schools again. So it's an awesome kind of marry up of my passions and teaching them about stormwater and how native plants can help water quality. So let's talk a little bit about this thing called the stormwater pond playbook. And I have to say, when I was kind of looking over the topics that Dave Giordano sent over, uh, I, I didn't quite understand that word playbook. And then right before we went on the air, you made it very clear, and it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, so we're actually talking about a playbook. It sounds like that people can hold in their hands. Uh, tell us more about what, what prompted you to want to put this together and, and what it exactly is. So we wanted to focus on stormwater ponds because that's kind of the go-to for stormwater management. And with some tweaks in their design, you can end up 
saving some money on maintenance, but then also having better water quality coming out of there, which ultimately discharges into our rivers and Lake Michigan. So every pond is kind of an opportunity to be better. Um, so we worked with a few different engineering partners and the DNR to, and just a lot of background research, kind of what are those options and really crunch the numbers on, if you're a pond owner, how can these options save you money in the long term? Since that's kind of the focus with any restoration work. So if you, so, so for people who already have a pond on their property, the playbook tells you in a sense what to do with your pond in order to make it more effective? Yeah, so we have it broke it down into different sections. So if you're a developer, a new pond is coming in, here are the tweaks you can make up front to um, make it better. So that's including a sediment forebay, planting around the outside, changing the shape of your design rather than these oval ponds, kind of a longer um, length to width ratio, um, mimicking more of constructed wetlands. And then we have, if you are already a pond owner, which is where most people are, what kind of retrofit options do you have to improve it. And the simplest one is switching your pond buffer. So, so many ponds have turf grass right up to the edge. We mow right around the edge of it and those grass clippings go into our ponds and that just adds to the algae and phosphorus issues. So, swapping from grass to a native plant buffer is kind of that low-hanging fruit that everyone can consider. Interesting. So, that keeps the water itself in a sense cleaner and more effective more effective agent than when it comes to this matter of stormwater. So tell us more about how a stormwater pond works. I mean, what's what's going on there? Yeah, so um, everything comes in through an inlet or it flows across the land and that stormwater makes it to the pond. And really they're designed to pull out 80% of the sediment that comes into the pond. Um, but that's it. Unfortunately, we don't have ordinances mandating that we're managing phosphorus and nitrogen and E. coli and all of these other chemicals that are found in our stormwater. So you want those, at least a, a portion of those, to remain in the pond? Is yeah, because if it stays in the pond, then it's not then discharging out to the river and Lake Michigan. But right. by using plants, you can kind of increase that pollutant processing, and so it's naturally taken up and managed. Interesting. So, Nan, tell us a little bit about how long this has been around. I mean, you've been talking about stormwater as long as I can remember. And how long has this, in a sense, technology, is that the right word to use for it? I mean, how long has this been around? <clears throat> well, in terms of the native plants as technology, they've been around forever. Mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, um, we replaced their function and their beauty with turf grass, which is essentially non-functional because the roots are so short. So it, it doesn't, they don't have the capacity to filter water, they don't have the capacity to slow down the um, discharge into the pond and so on and so forth. Um, I don't know, Christy can talk to this, I don't know how long the, the technology has been around in terms of a forebay and all that sort of thing, but you know, ponds have always been created in this round or oval shape because it's easy to dig a hole like that and to dig it deep but they're not particularly functional homeowners associations then have to share a shoulder the burden of getting rid of cattails and sediment and uh, all manner of things um, but when you create them in a more natural approach so narrower and longer you know and shallower they can function a little bit 
a little bit more naturally. Um, and when you landscape around them then with native plants, you have now, you know, bumped it up several levels from this sort of hole in the ground that just collects water, essentially, and then ends up with a lot of problems to something that's functional and attractive, something that you kind of want to see out your window. Right. Yeah. And then you, you know, then you have all this habitat for pollinators and other things. Right. And we'll talk about pollinators in, in, in just a second. So, Christine, Explain why the shape of the pond matters so much, and when, and when you, uh, when you uh, leave off the standard oval in favor of something that's maybe a little more uncommon, why does that make such a difference, and in what way does it make a difference? So in the watershed restoration plans, when it talks about stormwater ponds, they say you really want a three to one length to width ratio. So three times as long as it is wise. And that's basically so that the water is in the pond longer. The longer its journey moving through all of that vegetation, it gives it more time for the sediment to drop out and for those pollutants to be processed. So that way you have a cleaner water coming out the other side. Wow. And what what is the means by which the water eventually exits the pond? Is that just whatever nature has created? Or, I mean, what, what ends up being created for that discharge part? Yeah, it is managed so that way it's coming out at a certain rate because you don't want it blasting out of the pond because then you have more erosion in your rivers. So it is controlled, and that's where, that's where the engineers come in because they help hmm. make that happen. But, yeah, it fills up, and then we'll pour out the other side once it gets full right. enough. So when somebody builds anything, are they required to have a stormwater pond? Or is, that just, is it just that it's a smart thing to do and that most developers want to do because of that? Well, you have to manage your stormwater some way because okay. as we're paving over everything, it has to go somewhere. And if we don't want it in our basements and in our roads, um, but stormwater ponds are just kind of the go-to option because that's what we're used to but there you can focus more on rain gardens or on what's called a regenerative stormwater conveyance system or an rsc and basically those both just focus on infiltrating the stormwater back into the ground rather than just holding it gotcha but there is but when somebody is developing something they're required to manage it one way or another. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. I'm reminded of the neighborhood where I live in Mount Pleasant uh, that at some point uh, there, there started to be very serious flooding, not right in our development, but in the adjacent neighborhood, because as the construction went in our neighborhood, something happened and, and suddenly water was flowing into these other homes at a much more greater rate. And I don't even remember exactly what had to be done, but I guess that would be a case where somebody, a developer, maybe thought they had managed this issue and in fact had not, or had not foreseen how the problems might escalate as maybe more homes were built or something. Yeah. So they have to, they are required to manage this one way or another. Yes. Very good. So when, when one is talking about this, uh, stormwater pond. In in what way is this similar to what happens with wetlands? Is it at all a similar sort of process? Yeah, especially if they are built like a constructed wetland, um, where you have the the bends and the curves and the vegetation, then they act more like a natural wetland, which um, is kind of like a kidney for the earth. The mm. water flows through them and it takes out the pollutants and um, comes out better. 
I seem to have heard that phrase from you once or twice. <laughs> yes, over I the think years. so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's about perfect. every other broadcast, but <laughs> <Yeah>. yes, <laughs> right. Yes, we the, the the Earth needs its kidneys. Yes. and it needs them functioning well. Uh, Dave introduced you as uh, the consultant uh, for stormwaters. You're the stormwater consultant. In 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 what way are you a consultant, or who are you consulting on this topic? It really ranges. So I try to look at new development plans that are coming online and seeing how we can make these tweaks. So in one realm, I'm working with municipalities, trying to work more and more with developers. Um, Some of them are private pond owners who reach out and they're like, there's geese everywhere. There's algae. We hate this. What do we do? Mm. Um, So it really ranges through everyone because stormwater impacts everybody. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. For those of you just joining us, today is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the program, and we have uh, with us today uh, two folks from Root Pike Wind. We've been hearing from Christine uh, Heiser, who is stormwater consultant and pollinator patch program manager for Root Pike Wind. The boss, executive director Dave Giordano, is here as well. We're also happy to have with us uh, Kaylin Palomares from Hawthorne Hollow, and uh, we'll be uh, having her join the conversation in just a little bit. Uh, Kaylin, can I just ask, in terms of Hawthorne Hollow, when it comes to something like stormwater management, uh, has Hawthorne Hollow needed to do anything particular? I mean, like any concerted efforts or the fact that it is this beautiful natural landscape, in a sense, is this problem largely taken care of? You would hope and think so, but unfortunately with all the other human um, uh, interactions with with the land and with the river especially there is still a lot of uh, water problems um as far as uh, uh storm water and holding on to water we did a couple years ago have a huge restoration project um that took care of a ravine um, there was a lot of sitting storm water um and there was uh drain tiles in the back new part of our property that was all being pushed to one area creating a ravine going to the river and so mm-hmm. there was a huge sediment load um, and just no no quality habitat it was going through a um, basically a lumber plantation as well so mm-hmm. um, during that restoration they essentially tore out a bunch of very unhealthy trees that were planted for lumber Um, They tore out the drain tiles, they filled in the ravine, and now there's like a three-step system. So um, there's a berm, which makes the water flow to a wetland area. If that overflows, it sheets over a trail into a pond, a stormwater pond. And then if that fills up, then it sheets over into another secondary wetland area and slowly goes to the ravine into the river Mm. rather than all rushing to the ravine at once. So we do have a very huge project. more natural than a than a stormwater pond. Well, it's it's multifaceted. So there, a pond is one part of three parts of that project. Right. That it makes a lot of sense. In fact, that that sounds like the Cadillac of stormwater <laughs> management in, in in some respects. So, well, very good, very good. So, uh, Christine Heiser, you are also involved in this thing called the Pollinator Patch Program, and this is something we have talked about a bit on the program, but I think it's been a little while. So. Uh, Let's start at square one with just simply what the Pollinator Patch Program is. All right. So it started in 2019 before I was on board at Root Pike Wynn, and it was a partnership with UW Parkside and restoring their prairie there. Um, And then when I came on board in 2021, we brought that same idea of bringing pollinator habitat for better water quality 
to our local school systems. So we brought it to KUSD or Kenosha Unified and Racine Unified are the two areas we've been focusing so far. And really it's a turf to prairie conversion program. So we have the kids go through the process of planning and doing the site preparation, installing the plants, and then maintaining it and monitoring it for pollinators. Wow. So what kind of plants are we talking about? Those are our wonderful native plants that have the deep root systems that Nan was talking about. So purple coneflower, butterfly weed, rattlesnake master, blazing star, I can keep listing, <laughs> but all really unique and beautiful plants that we don't see in our landscapes anymore, unfortunately. Right. So how, how exactly does it happen? I mean, in terms of the planting and, and, and where this happens? And I mean, how do the sites get selected? And, and, and then what are sort of the logistics by which this actually takes place? Yeah, so we meet like to meet with the school, your principal, your teacher, and then hopefully someone from the maintenance staff because it is a group effort. You need everybody involved. And we try to pick a spot that's going to be full sun, but also where your stormwater is sitting. Um, so where it's already going to be really soggy and the kids can't play and the grass isn't growing, mm. let's make it into something better. That's typically how we pick the site. Gotcha. And so will this be something on the school grounds or nearby? Yeah, right on the school grounds. It's also meant to kind of double as a space where the kids can go out and study. So you want it to be footsteps away from the classroom because busing can be so expensive and such an ordeal. Um, and I've had teachers say, oh, well, I'm in our our ecosystem unit, but we just have grass. There's nothing to look at. So it's been a great opportunity to bring that right to their door. Cool. So how many schools are we talking about and how many of these have been created thus far? So by the end of this spring, we'll have 12 in the ground. And it's exciting because we've ranged from, started with elementary school, but now we'll have a middle school and then high schoolers involved. So you really get that full span of the kids' knowledge and can can carry with them as they continue on throughout their education. Wow. You said this was around before you even got to Root Pike Win? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, Nan, you were with Root Pike Win once upon a time. Mm -hmm. So, was this in place when you were there? It was starting, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. What are your memories of this program and some of the first efforts? Um, <clears throat> there, were some, there were a number of teachers that were so excited to have this opportunity. But as we all know, our schools are strapped for cash. Um, and so, you know, trying to find funding for the programs um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that was the biggest hurdle, really. But now there are 12 in the ground and that is just amazing and mm. fabulous. And, you know, you don't have to be a school to put in a pollinator patch. You can do it at your home <laughs> as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just wonderful. And then, you know, with all the restoration efforts, to have Rusty Patch Bumblebee sightings, I mean, I, never in my lifetime did I ever think that I would be associated with something like that. Mm. Uh, not that I had anything to do with it, but just, I mean, the first time that we had a confirmed sighting, I just, I was over the moon. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. How long ago was that? Not About a hundred years ago now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it takes time, these programs, yeah. Sure. So by the way, uh, if somebody did want to try to make this part of their own property, would, would they, I mean, like, is this a program designed for that? Or otherwise, how would somebody b go about doing that for themselves, for their own home? You know, there, there are a number of different ways to do it. So <clears throat> our local Wild Ones chapter, the Root River area of Wild Ones, um, 
they, they are a phenomenal resource for that sort of thing. And in fact, their native plant sale is going on right now. They've moved it up a little bit to mm. kind of avoid the heat and, you know, be in sync a little bit more with the, the effects of climate change. Um, and so all you have to do is go to the Wild Ones website and then find the Root River Area chapter, click on that, and you can download a form for ordering and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's a great way to do it. Certainly there are online resources that are very helpful. Um, and I'm sure that Christy is able to give you some information about how to do a pollinator patch at your house. It's really basically, as she said, you know, it's turf to habitat. Get rid of the turf and other non-native species and then start planting our essential and beautiful native species. Is it as simple as that? It really is. <laughs> Lay down cardboard, smother out your turf. Um, we like to do cardboard and mulch, but some people use, you can, I've heard you can use rugs or layers of newspaper. There's any, so many different ways um, to do it. It's that simple. And then, and then away you go. And how long does it take? What kind of a process are we talking about to get something like this started? So for site preparation, I'd say a minimum of two months you want to be smothering your grass. But the longer you do it, the better you're going to be, mm. especially if you have a lot of invasive species or other kind of weeds that are popping up in there. Um, so two months to kill it off, and then you can plant um, late spring or like to hold off in midsummer just because it's so hot. But then you can also plant um, early fall, too, if you would rather go that route. Very good. Uh, Christine Heiser is the stormwater consultant and uh, pollinator patch program manager for uh, Root Pike Wind. Uh, Dave Giordano, uh, I know one thing that you want to at least make excited brief mention of is a recent discovery of a rusty patched bumblebee nest and you know something very much about this yeah it this has really been incredible it's been an incredible year like i said um if we just looked at the rusty patch sightings that we've had mainly around the university of parkside uh and even hawthorne hollow uh that in of itself is made for an amazing year but it all goes back to native plants and you know what we've all the things that we've talked about here today uh with regard to stormwater and um reduced flooding and things like that but the the habitat that's brought back is really conducive for pollinators and um in in a very targeted way the rusty patch bumblebee and that's really our, was our effort at parkside to get that going so everywhere we've done a restoration out there we found the rusty patch this year which is just incredible. Mm, yeah. um, so that's like five, six different sightings. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm doing the same thing in my backyard. I've had a ton of buckthorn and other invasive species. And over the last eight years, I've, I've made, you know, some progress uh, out there this summer. And I was actually changing my trail cam and I heard some buzzing. And of course, I'm looking around and I could not believe my eyes. I had found a rusty patch bumblebee nest. There have only been five nests in the last 20 years found in Wisconsin. Wow. And so now I have one in my backyard and it's just, it's almost unbelievable because, you know, I run the organization that helps bring the species back and to be able to have a nest in our, in my own backyard, literally <laughs> was just unbelievable. In fact, my wife didn't believe it. And I was like, wait, there's going to be some people that are going to want to see it. The next day, I mean, our cul-de-sac was full of cars from U.S. Wildlife and mm. DNR. And wow. It, it was just amazing. And so we ended up 
actually excavating the nest after um, all the bees were gone uh, with the DNR and uh, some other experts, the the whole rusty patch story is incredible. Um, that could be easily a whole show. But I think the main point is that if you plant these native plants, it's amazing what comes back. And, you know, I just kind of close with the, the, the amazing photo we have that one of our, our experts took was there's this big bunch of buckthorn that's been cut. There's like three or four rusty patch bumblebees crawling all over it, trying to, you know, get up in the air and, and look for uh, to forage for um for food so it was it was awesome mm. it was just that in of itself made for an incredible year absolutely and yes i think you're right we can certainly devote a whole program to this and and certainly should uh, at, at some some later date i know that you also want to tell us about uh, a really exciting partnership with microsoft and uh this is it's it's, it's kind of a complex story but it's a it's a wonderful story and a partnership that i'm sure is just thrilling for you. So tell us about the, the, the connection you you have with Microsoft and the project involving uh, Lamparic Creek. Yeah, it, this, this also makes for uh, an incredible year. And, you know, it all started, we were trying to work with Foxconn to get them to do more of the things that we've, we've talked about here today and really focused on restoring the Lamparic Creek which flows from the Foxconn parcel east to the north branch of the Pike River. It's one of the most impaired creeks in our watershed. And while Foxconn was warm to the idea, they weren't, it took about 10 meetings for them to say maybe. Um, We had one meeting with Microsoft and before we could even suggest it, they wanted to know how they could get involved. So, it's really kind of a different mindset, and I'm, I'm not here to, to bash Fox, Foxconn, but, but I will praise Microsoft, this, this huge behemoth of a company that really cares about this. And, and I know this because they quickly latched onto the project and said, you know, let's do it. What is it going to take? When can we get started? And we've had three or four planning meetings so far Right now, the projection is work would begin restoring that creek in 2025. So it's not just talk. They've also dedicated uh, millions of dollars to make that happen. That's money that they did not have to spend. They're not required to restore this creek. They have social responsibility goals that and, and, and a desire to come into a community and make it better. And we presented this, and like I said, they, they were all over it. They want to have a negative carbon footprint. In order for them to do that, they need to plant more trees and more native plants where you're storing more carbon. And so it, it just dovetails in, um, in such, a, such a great way. And when that project's done, you know, we have some really high aspirations for this project. In fact, I said, you know, we don't want to be on the in your in your corporate responsibility report. I said we mm. want to be on the cover. Mm. And so we think there's a possibility to actually restore that stream to a point that we could bring back native brook trout. Brook trout uh, 
anecdotally were here before settlement. Hmm. In fact, there's, you know, Kenosha has a, a lot of different uh, translations with our Native American community. Most of the translations you hear are the place of Pike or Northern Pike or even Pickerel. But there is another translation from one of the tribes that says place where trout come all at once. Oh, the only migratory trout huh. native to this area is brook trout. Hmm. Brook trout are very finicky species. They want clean, clear, cold, consistent water. We don't have that right mm. now in the Lamprick, but that's our goal. Wow. And so if we can get that to happen, that will be amazing for our community. Explain to our listeners exactly where this creek is located. The creek really runs parallel to Braun Road and uh, KR. So it sort of splits those two, those two county highways. Uh, like I said, it starts in the, the Foxconn development, which is now really, the headwaters is really a giant stormwater pond uh, that we got our eye on because uh, it's not built the way we want it to be built. Mm. But um, then it flows, like I said, east through uh, under the railroad tracks a couple times and then outlets into the confluence near, um, near KR in the restored areas of the North Branch. Mm-hmm. So it really runs parallel. It's, it's been ditched and bermed and battered and bruised for, you know, over a century. And this project, I love what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, how they describe these kinds of projects as undoing things. Mm. We're not improving something. We're undoing what man has done. And, you know, we don't like to beat up farmers, but because they put, they had to put these things in place to get get their crops to perform the way they wanted to. These were all wetlands in this area. Right. And, of course, a lot of things were probably done with no understanding whatsoever of the repercussions. Right, yeah. right. That's a key point. And so, you know, now that we've learned about how important it is to take care of these streams and how ditching and berming streams only makes matters worse. It, it creates more flooding. It creates lots of pollutant issues. It creates a lot of erosion where trees fall in and you get – you get lots of calls if you're a municipality about all the trees in the river. We're trying to undo those those practices so that we get a naturally performing stream again. Yeah. So what prompted you to approach Microsoft? I mean, there, I mean, there's all kinds of huge companies all around the world and, and lots of companies that have at least some interest in protecting and enhancing the environment. Uh, what prompted you to seek out Microsoft for this? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. They approached us. They they asked the community, um, the community leaders that they were working with, you know, what are some organizations that are involved in the environment? What are some of the ones that, you know, are more reputable and the ones that, um, you know, have projects that we could be involved with? And that mainly goes back to the village of Mount Pleasant and Racine County, uh, and also the DNR, we, we got really good recommendations from all three of them. It said, you know, you, you need to work with Rude Pike Wynn on this. Hmm. And so they actually reached out to us wow. and uh, flew in a bunch of people. And, um, I, I mean, they, it, it's amazing to think that you have a, a huge company with over 200,000 employees that, that really care like they do. And I can say that confidently now because – I've sat in the design meetings. I've seen the, the, the amount of money that they're going to put in this project. Um, 
they really want to be a part of the community. And I think, well, I know that, um, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Wow. That's so And exciting. I say that in the most endearing way. Yeah, right. Well, uh, we're going to watch this with great, great interest. And as the project moves forward from here, uh, I look forward to uh, getting further updates uh, on this program. That'll be wonderful to follow the course of this. Yeah. One more thing I'd like to add is, you know, for the, the data centers that they build, one of the their own requirements is to um, implement a practice called biomimicry, which hmm. is really a fancy way of saying, you know, put the instead of doing kind of non-native landscaping, put native landscaping in that that mimics what used to be there. It's never going to be the same. It's never going to be a a true wetland out there, which was most of that area. But they're they're really trying to do more than the, than their being required to do with their stormwater ponds. A lot of the things that Christy talked about, they're going to try to integrate into their ponds. Um, just the use of native species in their, you know, in the the plantings around that site is is uh, it's going to be impressive. Wow. Bill Gates must have been listening to uh, your so. programs yes. over these. That's the only explanation <laughs> right. I can imagine. Yeah, Fantastic. Wow. Well, that's great. Dave Giordano is executive director of Root Pike Wynn. And yeah, Congrats on an amazing year, an exemplary year. We hope that's just the launching pad for uh, still more great years to come. So. Yeah, thank you very much. It's it, Like I said, when things are good for us, it's good for the community. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. Well, uh, at this point in time, we uh, shift gears just a little bit, and we explain why Kaylin Palomares is here from uh, uh, Hawthorne Hollow. Uh, she is uh, a naturalist and education manager and uh, she's going to be undertaking a really exciting uh, new chapter for her. Uh, and Nan, I'm going to let you uh, take it from here. Well, you know, I started doing this in 2006, which makes it sound even longer ago when you pronounce <laughs> it like that. 18 years 18 ago. 18 years ago. And I vividly remember the first time I was here. I was terrified, absolutely <laughs> terrified. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would have this this beautiful responsibility for the last 18 years. And I would have to say that first time, Greg, because of who you are and how excellent you are at what you do, just within moments, I, I felt like I belonged here. I felt ah. a lot more relaxed and, mm. uh, and you make everyone feel like ah. that. We've certainly had some nervous guests over the years. <laughs> <laughs> more than a couple. <laughs> more than a couple. So I started thinking about having been here for the longest time and Maybe it was time to let somebody younger, cooler, hipper, more connected <laughs> um, take over. And so it was a very difficult decision to make because this has been one of the greatest pleasures and privileges of my life. But on the, I want the show to be well cared for. Um, and now that I have exited the workaday world and, <laughs> you know, enjoying every moment of it, I thought, yeah, maybe it's time to pass the torch. <clears throat> Fortunately, we, it was made easier simply because we have someone like Kaylin in our community. Um, I met her when she was a college student at UW Parkside. She interned for us at Root Pike Wynn. <clears throat> I was so impressed by her confidence and her leadership skills and her commitment to environmental education. And I thought, who better to, to continue bringing the environmental community 
to the community, mm. which is, you know, something so rare. And we are all so grateful that we have this for us. Um, and so I mentioned it to Kaylin and she thought about it and we chatted and then she said yes. And so <laughs> that's why she's here with me today, because yeah. beginning next month, she will be taking over this responsibility. Right. Although it's not the last we'll hear from you. I mean, uh, I trust Kaylin's going to invite you back from time to time. <laughs> well, she said she would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we'll make sure she does. No, I'm sure she will. Uh, Kaylin, uh, was it a hard decision to say yes? I mean, or, or not particularly? Did it feel like this is uh, an opportunity too good to pass up? Yeah, I mean, she emailed me. And, um, of course, when, when you receive an email and you start reading it, you're like, oh, God, what is this saying? What is this email? <laughs> and I kept reading, and she's like, do you want to do, do you want to take over the show for me? And, like, my heart sank. I was like, that's so much responsibility. That's so, oh, my goodness. I was like, I have to check with, like, my boss. And, like, because this, you know, generally I'm at work at this time. And, um, you know, I, I needed to make sure that I mentally felt like I, this was something I could do. And I thought about it, and I, I was like, you know what, I – I would be honored to to take over this this role and to continue um, this this project because yeah for 18 years this has been a staple we have people coming into my job saying I heard you on the radio Kaylin I'm TJ I heard you on the radio and 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 that's a good feeling and and I think that these topics need to continue to be talked about um, so I'm happy to be a part of it and I'm, I'm excited to to continue it we're excited too. And TJ, of course, is your boss yes. at uh, at Hawthorne Hollow. I assume he was receptive to this idea, to say the least. I I told him, um, and it was it was funny because it was kind of a secret at first. <laughs> Nan was like, "Now Greg doesn't even know yet, so, <laughs> so don't tell anybody." But I was like, "TJ, everybody else was gone from the office. I was like, I need to talk to you. I'm not leaving, but <laughs> Nan wants to know if I can do this radio show. But I would have to be." out you know for the first hour of the day um on one thursday a month he's like you should definitely go for it what do you mean you should that's totally fine you just have to make sure you don't schedule a field trip during that time i was like yes okay so he was he was very excited for for me and for the show um to to be doing that fantastic so, so tj had his pom-poms out right right from the start <laughs> i was so nervous i was like oh no what if he breaks my heart <laughs> thank you tj for saying yes, yes. thank so, you tj absolutely so nan i want to make sure that we acknowledge uh the fact that there was a monthly environmental program on the morning show and, and we should also mention we try to touch on the environment even beyond these specific visits but we have always tried to make this concerted effort for there to be a, a, a special show at least once a month that really focuses uh, in a concerted way on this. And ahead of you, uh, the tradition had begun with whoever was in charge of the uh, Riverbend Nature Center. Yes. And so that was kind of the legacy, and it was someone from Riverbend who handed the reins to you. Well, yes. Yeah, so it started out with Allison Werner. I believe, from Riverbend many, 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 many years ago. Um, and then immediately preceding me, it was Nancy Pierce for a time. And then me. Yeah. Did you hesitate to say yes? Or, or did this feel like something that folded really naturally into your interests and your gifts? Yes to both of those questions. <laughs> I did hesitate because I had no experience. I mean, I had public speaking experience, but that's different than being on the radio. It really is. Um, 
But then, as I said, after that first show, I thought, you know, I've got this. I think I can do this. <laughs> the only stressor was, um, you know, bringing in good guests, people that could inspire and make people think about what they're doing. And, and I hope we've done that over mm -hmm. the years. I think we have done that. Absolutely. And I think uh, even in the case where, where a guest has come who is maybe less of a natural over the air, I mean, I think there's always been something compelling mm -hmm. uh, that has been that has been shared as you look back over 18 years are there maybe two or three highlights you feel like uh like uh mentioning i mean aside from dave giordano i mean every one of those <laughs> was a mountaintop experience he's got a lot more than me i'm sure <laughs> so what what are some hi highlights that you uh, you think about in terms of topics that were especially interesting or exciting you know one of the people i always think about is jamie patton uh, when she came on to talk about soil. Mm. She was so genuinely passionate about teaching people about soil and, and that it's really a living thing and we have to pay attention to it. And I know that she um, has sparked a lot of interest and changed behavior in our farming community because now, you know, people are, are doing... Um, you know, soil saving techniques. They're doing cover cropping and they're making sure that there are buffer zones. And mm. right here in Racine and Kenosha counties, who thought that that was going to happen? Because it's difficult to change people's minds sometimes. So to me, that was really inspiring. And I hope Kaylin has her on again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I think particularly about um, the couple of shows that we did about moss and lichens and fungi. Oh, mm. my gosh. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that. I mean, it's a whole world that opened up to me. Uh, it's just so fascinating. And the orchid expert that came on. Mm. I mean, so many people over the years. So right. many wonderful people. Uh, along that line, I think of the, the woman you had on who uh, is probably the country's leading expert on dragonflies. Yes. And dragonflies are such amazing creatures. Oh, and, yes. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, you know, they're amazing just to look at, but uh, even more amazing when you know about all the things that they can do. So Yes, yes. I've tried to have her on again, but she's tough to get hold of because she travels all over the world doing research. Mm. Um, yes, that was very, thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> that was great. And I think, too, um, Marissa Jablonski, this amazingly energetic, inspiring person, you know, it's easy to become despairing in this field because mm. there are so many losses. Yeah. Um, but when you have somebody like Marissa Jablonski out there working tirelessly to reduce plastics use mm. and, and, you know, working on an international level to get that accomplished. And, you know, she just doesn't give up. She keeps saying we can do this together. I think she's amazing. All right. these amazing people. Yeah, the you're right. Absolutely. In fact, that's that's probably been as important as anything, not just the factual content mm -hmm. that has been shared, but also just kind of just being around so many inspirational people mm -hmm. uh, devoting uh, their lives, so much of their time and energy and resources uh, to really important causes that involve the planet. I mean, yeah, and, and honestly, I've learned so much over the years. Um, most recently, we had uh, an expert on about the negative impact of light pollution. Yes, and uh, you know, I had always known—not always known—but I knew about the effects on nocturnal animals, but I didn't get the connection with the effects on animals and insects and also our plant life mm. and how disruptive it is to their natural cycles. And I thought, wow, you know, 
amazing. Mm. So we're all learning, uh, and of course, that's that's part of it. Is the the journey of of learning continues. Uh, uh, you know, throughout life, and that is uh, one of the most exciting things about being alive. Mm-hmm. So, yes. well, thank you for being uh, the inspiration that you've been for all of these 18 years, <laughs> and uh, we look forward to uh, to your occasional returns to uh, WGTD. You're always welcome and a very important part of our family here. Oh, thank you, Greg. I, I look forward to not losing all of you. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaylin Palomares, uh, we look forward to all of the exciting programs that you're going to be uh, hosting in the months and years to come. It's going to be uh, great to have you aboard as one. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, yes. I have big shoes to fill. (laughs) Well, we're excited to have you.